Welcome to the Han Jam Rancho, the audacious podcast by Hannah Rankin. I am your host, Hannah Rankin, and I interview guests who have made bold moves to create positive change, be that personally or societally. My guests are collectively from a plethora of diverse backgrounds, and together we discuss a vast array of topics. If it is empowering and audacious, you will find it here on the Hanjam Ran Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Guys, uh, what a week. There is officially light at the end of the tunnel and the sun is out. And it's really, it's just feeling so good in the UK right now. Even though technically nothing has changed yet, but I feel like we can smell the hope again. I actually had my first vaccine last week, which is very exciting. And it was such a smooth operation from the NHS side. Totally painless and just a whole lot of joy, really. So I'm feeling very grateful. So, so grateful to the NHS. And I've also been witnessing all of these wonderful women that have been killing their game and celebrating it on Instagram. I love the audacity to praise yourself and to share your wins publicly. And that is fundamentally what I am here to encourage. And yet I don't even really do it enough myself. A friend actually just told me off for always apologising for asking you all to rate and review my podcast. And she also told me off for being too self-deprecating when I do episodes by myself. So, no more. It is audacious self-praise from here on out. And I do actually feel more and more confident with my interviewing skills and like, I'm really growing as a podcaster. So if you've been listening from day one, then let me know if you've noticed. And also, I am so proud to be launching my newsletter next month. It is obviously a celebration of audacity It is witty, cheeky, and just consider it like a hub of interesting stories, articles, books, other people's podcasts, and I'm sure it will have a touch of commentary from yours truly. So if you want in, then make sure you sign up at www.hanjanran.com forward slash newsletter. Also, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I am at hanjamran. And I've decided to start dressing as if I'm going out each day because I am sick and tired of my limp ass hair and tracksuit bottoms. So I am just pretending that I'm going out to the office and wearing little outfits and I'm sharing them on the gram. So come and (laughs) check out my ensembles. Um, No, I just like to chat away on Instagram. So come and join me. Don't let me feel like I'm out there talking to myself. Anyway, speaking of women who are celebrating theirs and other people's wins, let me tell you about today's guest, Abadesi. Abadesi is a force of nature. She has such an incredible energy. She is constantly challenging and questioning systems and is a self-proclaimed Brené Brown super fan, which I can connect on a level with that. She accidentally fell into tech after no longer wanting to work in the city. And when she tells me about that, I literally have visions of the recent show, Industry, 
which if you haven't watched it, go now, it's on BBC iPlayer. But when she moved into tech, Abadesi noticed that there are very few women leaders in tech. And in wanting to understand why, and then ultimately challenging it, she then went on and found herself in a position where she quit her job, and in the space of just four years has gone from an early stage founder, struggling in obscurity, to being named the 13th most influential woman in UK tech by Computer Weekly. Now she hosts an incredible podcast with so much charisma and passion, I'm obsessed. It's called Techish, and you can get it everywhere. Go and check it out now. It's not just about tech. It is about tech, but it's about the interesting part of tech. I am pretty ignorant with the world of tech, I'm not gonna lie, although I feel like I'm desperate to know more. Um, and I have absolutely enjoyed diving headfirst into the backlog of her episodes. It's so engaging, it's fun, there's a little bit of, you know, pop culture and current affairs thrown in, so go check it out. And Abadesi has an incredible company called Hustle Crew, which she describes as the secret weapon for women and people of colour to succeed in tech. You'll find out more in a bit. But if you are inspired by Abadesi's words, then you should go follow her on Instagram at Abadesi and at Hustle Crew Live. I'll put both in the show notes. I need to remember more to keep pushing my guest socials because I see you all out there following them straight away, which is beautiful, but I'm going to make it even easier for you. So in this episode, we talk about whether we can make change when it's a one-way voice or do we need it to be a dialogue, a two-way communication channel? And Abadesi poses the very real question, would MDMA help us to have a more loving worldview? Pressing questions indeed. Listen on to find out. Abadesi, welcome to the Hand Jam Run Show. I'm so excited Yay! to have you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I, um, I'm so curious about your audacious experiences, partly because <laughs> of the way you phrased them, which I will touch on in a minute. But <laughs> oh God, what did I from do? the outside, <laughs> I see so much audacity in your journey. Um, <laughs> but there was it was really interesting how you phrased it because it was all about sort of to me, like fear around starting something. Mm, yeah. Whereas Probably. from an outside perspective, it's like there are loads of kind of these bold benchmarks throughout your journey from what I can see that I would call audacious. But the way you, you cited them, it was all like kind of these first moments. Anyway, <laughs> we will get to that. I thought to begin with, yes. it would be amazing um, if, you know, for the journey that I'm talking about is from when you quit your job. Yeah, totally. Four years ago. Yeah. Um, and kind of started your own projects and then within four years have been cited as number 13 of 50 in Computer Weekly's UK top women in tech, which Weep. is <laughs> huge. And yeah. I Thanks. talk a lot about um, kind of 10 year overnight success stories because I think there's so <laughs> yeah. much of a hustle. 
Definitely. But I would love to hear your background on your career and yeah. kind of what led up to even the quitting of the job. Nice. Um, so I think definitely um, the idea of what it is to be audacious, I feel changes over time. And I think like once you go through something that is transformative or pivotal and you look back on it and go, oh, that was audacious you then almost look ahead to like what the next audacious thing is gonna be. And I think that's like a really interesting reflection that you saw in terms of like new beginnings um, or, or rather how my audacious moments were like those points where I maybe like had a new chapter or like emerged and grew into something bigger. Um, that's really cool. But yeah, so my career, I would definitely say that I'm one of those people that's like obsessed with plans yet never follows them. Um, so it's like, I like plans, plans make me feel safe. They make me feel in control. They make me feel secure. Um, but I never really like ever seem to follow them. So, um, you know, I've been working in tech for 10 years now and I didn't even plan to work in tech. You know, when I pursued an academic life, I did an economics degree. Um, and I thought social science was the way to change the world. Um, and then, um, I fell into tech because I wasn't happy working in the city and like a finance company. And I felt like the tech scene was a lot more progressive, a lot more open. I also was kind of sick of wearing suits. So I was like, you can wear jeans at work, yay. Um, and it was only really maybe five years into the tech journey that I realized that there were a lot of systemic barriers that would stop me from fulfilling my vision and fulfilling my plan. You know, I'm someone who grew up in like a very classic immigrant household, like where my parents kind of moved to new countries and had to focus really hard on their education and working hard to survive. And so that was really instilled in me. So I always knew that like whatever I set my mind to, like I had to succeed at that. There, was, there were people relying on me to build a legacy. I couldn't let them down, all the sacrifices that had been made. But I think it was really when I got to my job at Amazon, so this was like 2015, where I started to realize like there aren't actually that many women leaders in tech you know i was like in, in my team sitting with my teammates there were women i was like you know you look at the org chart for example and you can see jeff bezos and you can see the people that report into jeff bezos and they look like jeff bezos and the people that report into them mm. look like jeff bezos too and that felt just so demoralizing and a part of me started to wonder like what if i did everything i could everything in my power to be successful but there was always something else holding me back from that for example a boys club right i can't change the fact that i'm a woman no matter how hard i work and no matter how hard i try and i think that's when i started to become really obsessed with inclusion and representation in the tech industry because you know selfishly i was like i don't want my identity to hold me back i just want like everyone else with more privilege because maybe they're male maybe they're white to just be able to work hard and then reap the rewards of that and reap the benefits of that. I don't want the fact that I'm a woman or a black and Asian woman to hold me back from that. But I just realized it wasn't really, you know, you can't really like change the system just for yourself, right? You kind of have to change it for everyone um, because it's a system. And that's how this work really started. Um, once I started seeing my career and really my industry through this lens of, oh, there's bias, there's privilege, there's oppression. I couldn't not see it, if that makes sense. It's kind of like mm. once the veil falls, you're like, oh crap, can't put it back up. Yeah. Um, and it just meant that, you know, moving on from Amazon to another startup where I actually felt excluded and I saw, you know, sexist things happen and I felt sexist things happening to me, racist things happening to me. I suddenly had the courage to call it out for what it was. Whereas like, I feel like in the past, I may have just brushed things off, you know? Yeah. Um, when I first joined tech 10 years ago, there wasn't hashtag me too, you know? So yeah. 
everything that happened that was inappropriate, you were just encouraged to just kind of, oh, you know, get on with it, right? Um, and I think for me, once that lens developed, I couldn't be that person that's like, just get on with it. I was like, no, I have to challenge it. No, I have to challenge that. 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 And ever since I've had that energy, it's just never stopped. So from launching Hustle Crew to all of the things that have evolved from Hustle Crew, Techish Podcast, everything, it's like, that for me is my purpose. And as long as I'm breathing, that's what I'll do. <laughs> I love that. And it's so interesting to hear about kind of once you open Pandora's box in a way exactly. of kind of standing up for yourself. But I think it's quite scary to get to that point. Like, obviously I cannot fully relate to your experience in that I am a white woman and I get all the privilege that comes with that position. But even just in my journey as an ally, like it's kind of, always always had that perspective for myself but sometimes like I look back and I wish I'd spoken up louder Mm. but I was shy too and so it was like I would kind of be an ally but like quite quietly and then now that I've kind of been exercising that muscle that voice it's now like you know there's no stopping kind of speaking up when there's when there's the opportunity to do so so yeah I feel it's definitely a journey, isn't it? Um. <laughs> yeah, and I think what, you, what you're what you noticing is the things that felt so uncomfortable and awkward become less uncomfortable and slightly less awkward the more and more you do it. And that's something I found in my career too. Like the first time I stood in front of a group of like all, you know, cis, het, white, male engineers and said, tech is racist because we make decisions that are not anti-racist. I was friggin' scared, but now I'll yeah. just do it like whatevs. Yeah, let's talk <laughs> about racism. Let's talk about sexism. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, this leads us nicely on to your first audacious point, which was about doing your first diversity workshop in Silicon Valley, which was full of people denying bias. And I have heard on your podcast, you talk about using the term or sorry, not using the term unconscious bias because (laughs) it's kind of, you're you're calling on people to take responsibility for their bias. And I think that's really powerful. So would love to hear you kind of share about that experience. Yeah, so that was an audacious experience for me because I think, you know, now I've done hundreds of talks and workshops, literally hundreds, but at that point I'd only really done like a few dozen and I'd also done most of them in the UK where people aren't really like uh, that willing to challenge if we're talking about something within the space of political correctness or social justice, people would rather kind of keep it to themselves and like bitch quietly later. Whereas in the US, someone will willingly, you know, call you out and challenge you. Um, that was like that. And then I think the second piece was also, um, you know, I was in sort of like the heart of tech. I was in the heart of my industry. I was in Silicon Valley, like where all these great, big, amazing ideas happen. And I had not expected to receive such animosity and negativity towards my content. Um, So that for me was like really transformative in the sense that it made me understand my own naivety in the sense that I was like, wow, why, why shouldn't I think that they're not ready to have this conversation? At the end of the day, this is the place that sets the trend and the trend in the industry is that things are okay the way they are, even though there's less than 20% women and less than 10% people of color, that's fine by us. So, you know, that for me was like a real kind of like, okay, I've been a bit naive here. And also, it was also like a wake up call for me to ask myself, am I ready to do this work? Because this work is hard. Like this is work where, 
you will tell people that you know you've experienced trauma you've experienced suffering and they'll say i don't care that's your fault you know i'm getting on with it and that was you know something where i was just like am i ready for this you know am i ready to do work that sometimes negates my humanity and and my identity but you know has to be done so that's why I felt like that was like an audacious moment to call out because I can remember moments in the workshop when I was literally trembling. I was really scared. You know, I said something like, oh, um, you know, they've done studies that show if you take the names off of your resumes, suddenly the number of women being called to interview for an engineering role or the number of international folks, you know, international sounding names that get called for interview will increase significantly because just yeah. even at that first level of looking at the resume, you're already making assumptions. You see a name you don't recognize, maybe you assume they don't speak English that well. Or you see a woman's name and you just assume a woman's not as good as a male engineer. And someone in that workshop actually said the words, I want to hire more women, but I don't want to lower the bar. And no one was offended by that. No one was offended by the fact that he basically said, I'd like to hire more women, but they're stupider than men, right? Because that's what he said, right? And, and, and I kind of waited for someone to step in but instead of someone stumping in to sort of challenge that incredibly sexist remark, which was like, again, something I still today I'm in shock was said, and these are mm -hmm. educated people with experience. Someone else chimed in and was like, yes, oh, I've tried so many times to hire women engineers. I just want any that are good enough. You know, I just, if they were there, trust me, they'd be here. Why wouldn't they be here? And in their mind, there could be no other reason that the women aren't there or the black people weren't there or the queer people weren't there or the Muslim people weren't there or the disabled people weren't there. There's no reason why they weren't there other than they weren't good enough to be there. And I then had to do the work of kind of like showing them like, hey, do you know about like systemic bias in the education system? Do you know about access to opportunities in higher education, access to opportunities of like internships and jobs? Do you know about nepotism and networking and affinity bias and all of these sorts of things? Um, but it was just incredible to me because, you know, you mentioned how I don't really like to use the word unconscious bias. And I think we're using unconscious bias as this umbrella term that mm. is also just including prejudice. And actually prejudice is real and we need to talk about it. Like the fact that there's like shortcuts being made by our brain on a daily basis has been proven by science. We know that, right? If I asked you, Hannah, how many decisions have you made today? Like you're not gonna be able to count. Um, and even if you did, the, the number would be wrong because it's thousands, maybe millions. Most of them, your brain very kindly made the decision for you based on what it knows about you. Um, and that's happening all the time with recruiters, right? Which CV should I look at for 10 minutes versus one minute? Okay, fine. I'm happy to call that unconscious bias. I'm happy to call that unconscious mm -hmm. bias. But when you, in a workshop, tell me that you don't want to hire more women because you don't want to lower the bar, what is unconscious in that statement? Right. Like you've spent time ruminating on that statement. You have spent time reflecting on this and you have come to this judgment and you are now proud enough of that judgment that you're sharing it in a public space. There's nothing unconscious about that. You know, that is to me a provocation. You're telling that to me as a woman, I'm gonna come for you. I'm not lowering any bars. If anything, you're lucky I'm here. I'm hiring it. <laughs> but rage that is like brewing in the pit of my stomach and I can't, <laughs> I just like can't even believe how that must have made you feel in the moment. I'm sure angry as well, but like what a provocation, as you said. It's a that's a real like it's literally attack. It's an give attack. No shit's attack. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's an attack on like on what it is to be a woman. I am a woman. I represent women. Um, I don't want to always represent women, but that's just the reality of patriarchy, right? And in a similar way, um, I know that I also sometimes represent 
my black culture, my Asian culture, all these things. And when people have the audacity to say that that is inferior, it's incredibly mm -hmm. insulting and it's really mm -hmm. angry. And the hard part of being a facilitator is that you're not always able to react in the moment, mm. right? Because you need to like maintain the teacher mode and you need to maintain the facilitator mode and you need to maintain that compassion for the person speaking, even when what they're saying is like hella ridiculous and offensive, right? <laughs> because um, they still have to have enough trust in you to continue being honest. Yeah. And then I have to find a way to challenge them. Yeah. I actually talk about this kind of like, I guess the unofficial version of that with um, one of my girlfriends who is a more, I will use the word aggressive and I mean it as a compliment, a more aggressive activist than me. Yeah. Whereas I kind of like try and bring people into the fold of my <laughs> worldview <laughs> in a like loving embrace. Mm. <laughs> and she's more like, you need to go do your own reading and like step <laughs> yeah. up and why haven't you considered X, Y, and Z? And we've kind of over the years taken bits from each other's strategies, but nice. I can't, I mean, it's just, yeah, I guess a whole other dimension when you're there as like leading and constructing this workshop and having to park like your own personal, emotional, visceral reactions and yeah, deliver Yeah, this it workshop. is really hard. And I think, you know, when you are an activist, I recently was watching this like Black Panthers documentary, or, or even if you're watching It's a Sin, right? There is collective action taken for the cause. And that can take yeah. so many different forms. But a lot of the time that collective action is not a dialogue. It's one way, you know, like I'm going to go to the streets and march. I marched last summer, you know, many of us did. And uh, we've marched many times for the things we care about or we are gonna go online and post about stuff and we're gonna talk about stuff. And all of that work is so valuable and takes so much courage and is great. I made a choice to design a training product. It's a workshop, it's a virtual workshop. It's a different type of activism, right? It's, it's a two-way activism. It comes with its own challenges and its own burdens, but it's something that I felt could make an impact in the way that was authentic to me and authentic to the community I have. But I think it's a really important thing to note that any activism comes at a cost to the mm -hmm. activist. And I think Angela Davis said it best when she said that, you know, longevity is the key to our being successful as activists. Like, you know, if, if, if we overdo it or we don't look after ourselves, then there's no activist left to do the activism. Um, right. So it's really, really yeah. important, I think, for us to recognize that there's value in different styles and we have to pick the type that is sustainable to each of us. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree massively. Um, okay, just before we jump on to the next point, I wondered if you could explain what your workshop entails. What does that look like? So one of the things that is really important for us is for the experience to be really like immersive and transformational like in an ideal world i sometimes wish that i could put ecstasy in people's water bottles before the <laughs> workshop i'm not lying because i want them to be willing to rewire their brains right like you know you can take something like ecstasy and just see everything through the lens of love just see everything like why do people hate each other it's not yeah. hard like oh my yeah. god right 
And one of the things that's so challenging about my workshops is that everyone's already coming in with their own judgments and their own preconceptions. And some people are coming in with a willingness to learn and be challenged, but actually a lot of people are coming in ready to prove me wrong, right? A lot of people are coming in ready to be defensive. Oh, who does she think she is? Oh, she's gonna come and tell me that I'm privileged, I'm this. She doesn't know about my life. She doesn't know whatever. I'm ready to be here and be difficult because I'm sick of hearing this shit, blah, blah, blah. And that is hard, right? And because my workshop is so immersive, you know, it's not about me or whoever from Hustle Crew Team is facilitating lecturing to people. It's actually about encouraging people to talk about things they've never talked about before. When did you first realize you were white and that being white had privilege? What did that feel like? What was the first time you experienced sexism at work? What happened? What did you do about it? What did you wish could be done about it? We want people to be able to go back into work and not be afraid to talk about race or any other lived experience but rather be curious about those lived experiences and bring them into the you know, open and talk about them and invite people to talk about them and create psychological safety, make people feel like it's okay, not something to be shamed about um, or have to hide. Um, and because people have to be so open and trusting in ourselves and each other to do that so they can bring that energy back into their teams. Um, yeah, I sometimes wish I could just spike their drinks because it would be so much easier for them to do that. And then like all of those, preconceptions they have about what privilege means, what anti-racism means, um, what systemic oppression means, you know, could be left at the door and then they'd be open to, you know, relearning all of those things. But yeah, that's essentially like what the workshop is. Like we want people to learn to find their own answers. We're not trying to teach people like, hey, you, I don't know, graphic designer or hey, you HR manager, hey, you, engineer this is what you must do in your role in your company in your team to make that team more inclusive we can't answer that i don't know everyone on your team i don't know what stage you're at in your team i don't know how big it is i don't however but i can give you tools to make more equitable decisions and one of the things that we always say at hustle crew is we want people to check their privilege as often as they check their spelling and we don't think it could you know, it should be that hard. Like we had to learn to check our spelling. There was a time when I didn't even know how to write my own name, right? Like all of you, I went to school, someone taught me how to hold a friggin' pencil, learned all of that. And so my logic is, okay, we're not in a place right now where we're anti-oppression by default. The isms are all over the place. Ableism, racism, they're all over the place. But couldn't we learn to recognize our privilege constantly use our privilege as a lens, use our awareness of structural oppression as a lens, so that the next time we're in a meeting, we can say, wait, hang on a minute. We should have our pronouns in our display name by default going forward, so that the next time someone comes in with like a not obvious pronoun, it's not gonna be this like awkward change just for them, but rather a norm that's already established. Or it might be something like, hey, wait a minute, before we publish the social media campaign, shouldn't we, take into account the fact that like all of the people in it are like presenting as very like heteronormative, very maybe from the same race group, like shouldn't we mix it up? Like these are the kinds of questions that we want people to start asking once they come out of the workshop. We want that veil to drop, right? Where they start seeing everything through the lens of social justice and kind of start to realize like, okay, I can do more here, I can do more here, I can do more here. So that's really the purpose and what we try to create. Yeah. Wow. So needed. <laughs> so needed. Um, I, 
interviewed um, someone for season one, Daniel, who used to run a similar kind of thing called Milk for Tea. I don't know if you came across it, but he would go into, him and his co-founder would go into companies and they would, rather than running the workshop initially, they would speak to everyone and find out what their experience had been in terms of the isms, especially people from minority backgrounds and whatever Mm. form. And then they would present the findings back to the senior team and say, and how handy we have a workshop that is exactly this and they would go oh thank you so much but yeah we're good and they'd be like but you know we've said that all your black and brown staff members feel unseen or they their culture is not recognized or you know whatever the form of prejudice is do you not want us to help you do something about that and they'd be like oh no no, no that's so good thank you for telling us we're good wow and he was just like that disparity like it's one thing to have ignorance (laughs) but then when you're shown and then you choose actively choose not to do anything about it that is really terrifying yeah and that that again is just like okay discrimination and prejudice nice to see you again because what is your excuse there like i've just shown you there's like a whole group of people that share one thing in common that research shows often means they're facing like more shit at work um and your response to this is to let the shit continue to happen and do nothing about it okay nice great yeah wild wild he was like some of them would just kind of say we're gonna do um a yoga class once a month and (laughs) (laughs) hope that brings everyone together and they'll feel great i think i think what we realize is we can believe two very contradictory things at the same time and that's something that humans seem to excel at. Um, A company can say, we want to do more to be better at diversity and inclusion, but at the same time say, but I only want to do the things that I'm willing to do to make that happen. And a lot of the times that's a very short list of things that people are willing to do. People are not willing to feel uncomfortable. People are not willing to take ownership of the role that they play. People are not willing to have difficult conversations people are also often unwilling to like explore what white identity means you know we're always willing to talk about what it's like to be black or brown or muslim or jewish but you know a lot of people that are just white don't feel comfortable talking about what that means and like what that privilege is so yeah it's really frustrating to hear that but i think i'm also not surprised Mm. and i think the conversation is evolving rapidly to some degree thanks to social media and more and more people are recognizing that you know these isms aren't problems that only the affected group create and control of course not (laughs) these isms are are impacting the affected groups but they're manifesting because of other groups with more privilege Mm -hmm. and those are the groups that have the power to change i also feel that when we're looking at creative industries as well I mean, tech included, if you have just one type of person sat around the table, like the way that you're communicating, you're only communicating to people that look like you. And so you're missing, like on a business sense, you're missing so many different target markets. You know, it's like, why wouldn't you want, I mean, I just think about if you're outsourcing and you're hiring like a creative agency, wouldn't you want the agency to be made up of a diverse pool of people so that the ideas are not all from the same experiences and therefore are going to resonate with a wider group of people? Like, you know, 
But but a lot of people think that even though they don't represent the population, they're so friggin' smart they can guess what the rest of the world wants and make an informed decision about that. And that's what's been happening for most of history. Um, <laughs> um, never underestimate, you know, the size of a man's ego, really. Um, yeah. But, you know, you're saying it, I'm believing it. That's obvious to me. Yeah, let's just get like those people in the room. Hello. But there are people that are like, but do we need them in the room? Do they even know what they want? Like that Henry Ford quote that's so famous, it's hilarious and like, I guess on point, but it's kind of also insulting. It's like, if people, if, if he had asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse, not the car yeah. that he ended up building, right? Like he built the Model T, or yeah, whatever, yeah, which yeah. became the most famous car. And people always quote that, like in business books, like, oh, Henry Ford, you know, if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse because people couldn't even have imagined, you know, a car. And like, in a way, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, cool, whatever, he's smart and he got it right on that time. But that's also like, kind of insulting to people like people do also know what they want like yeah. I mean I my my lived experience is my reality and that's not the same as someone else's right so who the heck am I to impose yeah. my reality onto someone else's yeah for sure oh <laughs> this is getting a bit depressing no um <laughs> Hope is out there. Hope there is, is out hope. there. There's groups like Hustle Crew, so we have yeah. hope. Um, okay, so on to your second audacious experience was about doing your first ever Hustle Crew community event at the South Bank Centre, no less. Yeah. Um, which is somewhere my mom and I are obsessed with. We love it cool. down there. I mean, I didn't um, book a spot. I was just like, meet in the cafe. I'll have a table. <laughs> <laughs> love it. And you were worried no one would shop. So what did that, what was that process? like like how did you get the word out there and then yeah so when um I quit my job at that startup I think it was like May 2015 um and then the first hustle crew thing that existed was actually like a careers workshop and that I was doing in partnership with a school friend she'd already been doing a lot of work advocating for diversity in tech her name is Natalie and Zaymana um and she runs an organization nuanced so together we were able to run these career skills workshops throughout July. And then come August, I was like, okay, I've got like Hustle Crew, I've developed this brand name. Um, I want to bring people together, not so structured like the way we had run workshops together with her, uh, with her community. I just wanted to, just inspired by things I was seeing online and seeing other folks do. I was just like, I just wanna find a place tell people that if you're an underrepresented person in tech, let's meet up and let's help each other with our careers. Whether that's, do you know someone at this company I wanna apply to for a job to, or do you know someone who can mentor me in this, or do you know someone who can help me move from you know customer success into product, whatever it was. And so the way that I put the word out there was posting on my LinkedIn, posting on my Facebook, just posting on social media and then obviously like begging my friends to come like, please come on Saturday. And they're like, I don't even work in tech. I was like, I know, but I don't want to go on my own. Um, and so, you know, it was like me, my partner, one of my best friends got on the tube, went to the South Bank Center, sat at the table. I think like maybe 20 people had RSVP'd, but it was a free meetup. So you just mm -hmm. never know. Like people e like emailed hello at hustlegrew.co and were like, I'll be there, I'll be there, I'll be there. And I just remember thinking like, I'll be so sad if no one comes or like one person comes and then it just becomes this like double date scenario or something. I was like, you know, we need like a bit of a critical mass here because ultimately everyone's gonna start talking about what support they need. 
and we need other people in this room in order to support them, right? Um, so it's just a bit scary. And just like anytime you do anything new, you just worried that all of that energy that you created is going to amount to nothing or it's going to fail. I think one of the things that I, I see as a sign of my evolution as a leader and my progress as, as a human is that my relationship with failure has changed so much. Now I realize mm -hmm. even if things don't work out the way you planned, there was a, something to learn from that, uh, something to learn about the world, something to learn about yourself, something to learn about other people. So thankfully, like my sense of thinking has moved on since then. But at that time, in that moment, I was just like, oh my God, I'm going to be so sad. And because it, it was the beginning as well, you know, it was still the beginning. I was like, gosh, if no one even comes to the first one, will anyone come to the second or the third or whatever? But, you know, it was just incredible. Like, I can remember all the people who came because I still know them and like they were doing amazing things in tech. Um, I think we ended up being like 12 folks and it was just like Aww. so lovely to have like real life people, you know, show up and be like, oh, I really like the LinkedIn post that you did about why there should be more diversity in tech. Or I really like that post you did about like how to tailor your CV to a role. Or like, I really like what you said about like why you quit your last job. Like I quit my last job. Like so many of us, it turns out had quit jobs or wanted to quit jobs because the culture was excluding us or there were people mm -hmm. in the company that didn't respect us. Like we weren't being treated the same as folks from more dominant groups. Um, and so like once that happened and once I'd had that event and I could put faces to names and, and meet complete strangers who shared the same passion um, and believed in the mission, every next meetup became so much easier. You know, yeah. sometimes I'd be my friends would be like, oh, do you want me to come along? I'd be like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm cool. I'll be all right, I'll see you after. Meet, meet me at two when the, meet, when the meetup ends and we can do something after that. Um, but yeah, that for me was just like so pivotal because it was me taking a chance on myself, me taking a chance on community, me kind of like relying on strangers showing up and believing in this for anything to happen. Um, so yeah, I do feel like that was like quite an audacious thing. And it's just so funny because, you know, like I picked the South Bank Center because I felt like it's really easy for everyone to get to, like regardless of where you are. Um, and I would literally just like rock up to like, you know, the cafe kind of like on the riverside, like grab a table, put two tables next to each other, put my coat on that one, put my <laughs> bag on the other. Sorry, is anyone sitting there? Yeah, sorry, they're on the way, they're on the way, like doing doing what I can and like, it's funny because as the months went by and the groups got bigger and bigger, we'd have to find like new spots. We'd be like, oh, okay, wait, let's go up to the upper floor. Like, okay, we're, we're on the upper floor. And then people would like ring, like, I can't find you. Like, I'm at the usual spot. It's like, no, we had to move. There were enough seats. Um, and oh, it would just be like, it was just funny. Like as the community grew, it just became this like game of like, where can we like sit in the South Lake Center without getting like kicked out or moved because there's a <laughs> concert. <laughs> That's so awesome. And I think that whole relationship with failure, that evolution, that trust in yourself and kind of like putting the effort in and handing the result over is so such a pivotal learning experience and it's something that I kind of went through with launching my podcast you know starting totally from scratch and thinking I don't know it's just very numbers orientated to begin with and just so nervous of what other people would say or think and then I kind of realized that if anyone took the time to think something negative a I won't know because that's <laughs> in their head and b that's not then the people I'm trying to reach and that's okay um so yeah I, I love hearing about kind of the process the mental process behind it and then hearing those beautiful connections that came out as a result I feel like it's almost it's quite similar although correct me if I'm wrong with mm. um 
your first time of sharing your podcast on Twitter. So your podcast is called Techish, yes. and but you say you put it out before you even had a had name, name for it. How does that work? <laughs> I know, I know. It doesn't make any sense. It's just SoundCloud link, SoundCloud link. Um, oh wow, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how basic we were back then. But yeah, I think um, what we were trying to do um, was test this hypothesis that we had. So it's myself and my friend, Michael, who runs People of Color in Tech. So, you know, very similar work to Hustle Crew or, you know, if you're listening and you want to get into diversity in tech work, holla, because we need more of us out here. Like, yeah. There's never enough of us doing this. Um, you know, we had this, uh, we had this hypothesis that there were more people in tech like us who felt that most tech podcasts were not intersectional. Like they were just, mm -hmm seeing the news unfold through one very homogenous lived experience of, you know, cis, het, relatively wealthy white man. And we were like, actually, you know, what about people, what about people like us, like people who aren't even like raising funding, we're bootstrapping, you know, like we, we're actually interested, not just in the companies that have reached that fundraising milestone or have just gone public. We're also interested in the companies that are growing sustainably mm. and maybe more ethically. Um, what about that? And also, you know, a lot of the times the news stories are only focusing on like the material gains, like, oh, this much money raised, this much money, well, this much growth. They're not focusing on the social impact Right. Yeah. And like by design, our companies are are making an impact. That's why we've created them. But, you know, in the constraints of capitalism, they have to be commercially successful, too. Um, so we just had this idea, like if we did a tech podcast through our lived experience and our lens, like how different would it be to the ones that come out of Silicon Valley? Um, and would people listen to it? So we kind of went to Michael's friend's studio. This was like back in the day when you could operate in real life and move around. Um, and we kind of just like sat on the sofa. It's a great studio, actually. Um, our friend H, he's had like Stormzy and stuff record there. Um, Amazing. But yeah, we literally just like sat on the sofa and just like went through the like news stories. And like we did this classic like hot or not. Like, oh, okay, like what about this story? Like, is that a hot story or not story? Anyway, so then we like posted the SoundCloud link on Twitter and said to people like, hey, we've just recorded our first podcast and it's we don't have a name for it. So what should we call it? And it's basically going to be about tech and pop culture and, and everyday life, but through the lens of, you know, two black bootstrapping founders. Um, and people were kind of just like riffing on like a bunch of different things. Um, and then I think like two different suggestions like melded into techish and that's how we got our name. But it's an audacious moment for me because it was such a public experiment. It was literally like on Twitter and like getting everyone talking about it. Um, but then it worked, like it has grown. Like we've been featured in like, you know, the Apple podcast homepage. We're like a top 20 tech podcast in the US and the UK, which I still just like cannot wrap my head around. I'm like, and like really important and influential people in Silicon Valley will DM me and be like, oh, I was just listening to Techish and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what? You're listening to me? Like, wow. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, so yeah, I do feel like that's really audacious because like many things in life, you can only understand like the gravity of a moment when you're looking back at it, right? Like in, at the time, it just was another day, another moment, another thing. And then you kind of look back and you're like, wow, I'm really glad I did that. Mm. <laughs> um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that is... Um, often kind of raised in sort of motivational content is it's never one 
action that's going to be life-changing it's an amalgamation of lots of little actions or lot you yeah know, not necessarily little but just kind of being consistent and showing up I with your podcast obviously it's primary focus is to talk about tech but as you said you're coming from it with the lens of your own experience and yours and Michael's experiences which means that inevitably you do talk about kind of some more personal experiences as well do you ever was that ever like a internal did you have to decide to be able to be willing to share on that level because Mm. I guess the niche being tech you might not you could not is what I'm trying to say (laughs) but you've chosen to and how how does that feel like does it feel easy for you to share in that way so um does it feel easy for me to share I am a huge Brene Brown fan like huge Brene Brown fan like if she started a cult I'd be the first person to sign up and goodness knows what tattoo my face with her face on it I don't know but um (laughs) I do believe that vulnerability can be a superpower. It can be like this incredible way to connect with people. Also like just break down your own barriers and like your own internal filtering and just like speak from the heart and be really open and be really honest. So because I love her so much and I'm obsessed with her and I read everything she writes and I listen to all of her podcasts and I her word is my gospel kind of thing. Um, over the years, I have been able to get more comfortable being upfront and honest about those things. But I think the second thing is Um, it was a very conscious decision because if you think about it, a lot of thought leaders and figureheads will inject their personal opinion and their personal experience into their interpretation of reality, right? Because that's what we're all doing, a chaotic world, trying to make sense of it, find a narrative. And I feel it's really important given the status quo and given the dominant groups and the dominant voices, I feel it is very important for me to use my platform to be authentic about my lived experience and how I'm interpreting reality and how I'm interpreting these events, because that is creating an opportunity for people who relate to me and who are like me to feel seen and feel heard and and feel like their perspective is also being taken into account. And then the other thing that I'd say is a lot of the time tech news can feel very impersonal Mm. And that's not actually a good thing, I think. Like the reality is, you know, we're using free products like Instagram or WhatsApp. Every time a product is free, it's because you are the product, right? We know that now thanks to like the Social Dilemma documentary. But one of the things that I'm trying to do with Techish is make people more critical about the relationship they have with technology. Because I actually think when when consumers become more willing to challenge the tech companies and the tech giants is when those tech giants will start to like serve us better as a society. Um, and I think the only way I can do that is to be like very personal about how I feel about it and how it's affecting me so that people can hopefully start to start thinking those things themselves about the products that they use. And, you know, say that is successful and you get people to think in that way, how do we challenge these corporations or even just like have a critical lens? Because, you know, I am reasonably cognizant of of the data situation behind mm. Instagram and us being the the product, as you said. But I've just kind of it's one of those things where I've kind of just like parked it, and I'm mm. like, well, you're a necessary evil because you are part of mm. you know the world that I live in, and I need you, so I'm just I just go along with it. Yeah, I think it's 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 up to each person depending on how much energy. Um, they have um, 
and also like, you know, what their real life circumstances are, because, you know, I can totally appreciate there are some people that need these products, but I think the way that we can challenge it and the way they can take, we can take action is like a number of different ways. Like the first thing that we can do is like, we can be super mindful of the fact that these products require our attention to survive and have been designed in such a way that we want to give our attention to them sometimes over things that are probably a lot healthier to give our attention to like just not looking at a screen for a second or like um i don't know meditating or looking at a tree um <laughs> and uh one thing that you can do is like really like put yourself on a diet you know like actually think about how you moderate your use of these things and don't fill time with using these products rather fill time with things that are not those things look at a tree look at the sky pick up yeah. a book do anything um so i think that's one thing that you can do i think the second thing you can do is like you can talk to these organizations you can talk to your mp you can talk to social media you can talk to your friends you can talk to your family you can say like hey friends and family do you have a healthy relationship with your devices do you have a healthy relationship with social media if not why not let me help you um another thing you can do is like on a personal level you can manage the content that you have made available to the public um and ask yourself really long hard questions like you know i say to my friends who have kids for example like are you sure you want to post this many pictures of your children on social media because they have not consented to that and there's going to be a time in the future when they might be really really angry at you for having done this and what are you going to say are you going to be prepared to delete them at that moment um, how does that go down mixed reviews <laughs> mixed reviews some people are open to the chat some people are just like you know shut up mind your business um yeah. <laughs> but you know i think i i think empowering people to just think a bit more critically mm -hmm. is also a really powerful way that you can help and each person's choice to post or not post you know to pick up their device or not pick up their device can be really powerful but yeah if you want to go one level up you can start saying like i don't like the way this company is doing this and i want to change that or like whatever and then you can like you know get into the political space and start campaigning <laughs> yeah no i mean yeah i i think that is um sound advice it's yeah just it kind of feels so huge and <laughs> overwhelming yeah and i think um that's how systems win <laughs> right i know like so i'm thinking i'm like what like i'm like hannah you know i don't i don't feel too small to make change in other issues like social issues i'm like yeah it just takes loads of one people you know mm. i can just do my bit you know i try and eat a plant-based diet just to try and do my bit and but then why with a tech company do i feel like oh that's that's too much <laughs> <laughs> well i think it's also because we don't sometimes understand how things work we don't understand how they're built but behind every product you use is a team of people and just like us they have to make decisions every day at work about you know how they can be more ethical how they can be more fair how can how they can be more just um and i think you know if you don't know how something works but you want to you know write to that company and find out like challenge them and like make them do the job of like educating you and helping you understand better where is my data stored why is it stored there how long do you store it for what do you do with it how much money would you guess you make off my data on any given week you know year month and like you know that might make you start to think of it differently about how much you use those platforms because if i said mm. to you like oh your data you know roughly speaking probably generates facebook i don't know 10 million dollars let's just say 
on any year would that make you feel as happy to use it or would you start to kind of feel like that's a pie that i want a slice of and i don't know why i haven't had it like i don't know yeah i i actually don't know what my answer would be at this point um but it, it is a really you know i'm grateful that you kind of are posing those questions and inviting us to think more critically because it's definitely needed and i think we're more being more and more exposed to the realities of um yeah the benefits that people other people are having off of our lack of awareness around these things yes definitely but yeah don't be um, disheartened just start small start small and build up yeah start small that's <laughs> always got to be the, the beginning um okay i ask every guest the same six questions at the end Yay! of each episode so i'm gonna hit you up with those now let's do it what is the first thing you do when you get up well like get out of bed um <laughs> I, I usually put the kettle Technical on answer, like <laughs> no I, I usually put the kettle on and make a peppermint tea oh nice <laughs> we're, a, we're a big peppermint tea household here but that's our evening pre-bed oh drink. interesting that's my like throughout the day thing I, I'll go to Sainsbury's get the 80 bag box and power through that yeah we well I have I don't drink coffee but I have tea black tea throughout the day and then move to peppermint in the evening but he has peppermint <laughs> in the evening with me as well <laughs> nice okay what action feels most like prayer to you that's a really good one i think just walking in nature like there's such a connection to something infinite and divine and like powerful when i'm in a big open space um mm. and like or like next to a tree i know i've mentioned trees a lot but like i'm really into them and sometimes i'm just like you know hey tree like you've been around a while you what have you seen what do you know and it's just cool and nice so yeah i think like walking in nature and just being able to be a part of that is great mm. i won't say where to to um <laughs> keep our <laughs> our anonymity but um when I first started following you on Instagram in the last lockdown I we run in the same oh yeah the same common <laughs> I was like literally like looking at your thing like where is she <laughs> literally the same track. I'll see her <laughs> see you out there <laughs> um it. okay what is the most audacious thing you've ever done <sighs> the most audacious thing I've ever done I, I, <laughs> there's so many and now I'm like filtering, like what is appropriate, not safe for work, blah, 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 blah. I there did no once, I did once <laughs> at a festival. I feel really bad about this actually, but fuck it. Um, at a festival with my friends, it was like the last set of the day. So I'm talking like 4am to 6am somewhere in okay. Eastern Europe, nicked the performer's like bottle of alcohol off the stage. Cause by that point we'd like gotten through all of our, you know, party favors and whatnot. And uh, he like, ha you know, partway through the set was like, holy shit, like who took my drink? Who took my drink? <laughs> like my friends and I were just like necking it in the crowd. And he was like, stop the music, stop the music, stop the music. Stop. No, no, seriously. He's like, I am not continuing this song until someone brings back my bottle. And that made my friends like want to finish it quickly even more. Um, of course he finished the set and everything was like fine and like blah, 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 whatever. But I do sometimes think of that and kind of go, wow, like if I were that person whose bottle had been nicked while I was performing on stage, I would be very angry. But I like to think that's pretty audacious. I don't even know how we swiped it. Like, well, everyone, I don't know. The spoils of youth. 
Right. I love that. <laughs> that's, that's a great anecdote. Thank you for sharing it. Okay. What commitment are you going to make to yourself for this coming week? I'm obsessed with self-compassion at the moment. Like I'm just like obsessed with like being forgiving and being kind and like treating myself like I treat my best friends. So... Mm. Th- that is like what I'm about this week. Like if I mess up, it's going to be okay. If I don't do something, it's going to be okay. If I forget to do something, that's also going to be okay. I'm going to be my best friend this week and I'm going to be compassionate towards myself. That's my energy. I love it. I will be supporting <laughs> you to Thank you. fulfill that commitment. What was, When was the last time you felt fearful and how did you handle it? Oh gosh. Um... I think it was this week, really. Um, I just realized that there were so many things I had to do. And I just realized there were like people that I'm working with that I'm not on the same page with. And there were going to be mm. some draining conversations. And then I think I like accidentally like walked in halfway on one of my partner's Zoom calls and like really annoyed him. And I was just like, I'm doing everything wrong. Oh. So then I just played some Cardi B and I was just like, no, fuck this. Yeah, I'm a woman. I'm a badass bitch. Yeah, they're lucky that I, he's lucky I interrupted his Zoom. They're lucky I'm talking to them and giving them my opinion. And that made me feel a lot better. It's amazing the power of music to yeah. recenter yourself into your kind of like, in an audacious woman. Yeah, I'm really having this moment with like Cardi B, Megan Thee Stallion, just like big, bold women of color rapping about being rich and being talented and being sexy and being amazing. And like, yeah, when I'm feeling fearful, afraid, sad, when I need to feel more self-confident, more whatever, I just listen to their songs and I pretend I'm them and I rap along and I gesticulate. And then I'm just like, I'm invincible. Yeah. Oh, I feel that on such a level. I'm with you. Okay. The last question. Where is your happy place? Oh, I, I'm a very simple person. Um, and I think a lot of times people are like, wow, you do so many things. Like you have those things. Like I'm someone like very special. I'm absolutely ordinary. And like my happy place is literally probably right now in lockdown on my sofa, electric blanket on, hubby next to me cuddles watching tv very simple (laughs) love that what are you watching at the moment it's a sin nearly done nearly done i'm a bit late to the game um but i'm loving every minute of it i know can i just say 80s soundtrack what a time to be alive that soundtrack (laughs) is banging my boyfriend is a child of the 80s i'm a child of the 90s and he was just like every moment like turning to me and singing i was like okay you're old we get it <laughs> but it's so good like every episode like literally like i finished watching an episode the other day and was just like dancing around to karma chameleon because i was like this yeah. song is a jail why don't i play this song more culture club boy george you know what you're doing um so yeah that's my happy place very simple <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's very lockdown friendly. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I, to be honest, there is so much more I could pick your brain on, <laughs> but um, I'm very grateful for the time that you've shared with us today and Yay. giving all of your beautiful insights and experiences. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. I'd be happy to connect with folks who like what they heard. Just reach out on social media. 